And I think it changed my recovery. I don't think my recovery would have been the same without doing this work. And just being able to like pull off some of those layers of baggage and those old patterns that get tied up in us from early childhood or from traumatic events, to really be able to work with those in a gentle way where, where the focus is on like being okay in our bodies, it's so powerful. Welcome to the Juggling the Chaos of Recovery podcast, where we focus on health and wellness and overcoming all types of addictions. You're in the right place if you're a mom, dad, sibling, or caregiver who has a loved one who is or was struggling with an eating disorder or any other kind of addiction. In a time where everything seems heavy, I'm here to bring you a very real yet lighthearted take on what the heck we're all supposed to do with our lives while we care for our loved ones who are struggling. One thing holds true throughout it all. You can't juggle the chaos without smiling, at least a little bit. Well, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I am your host, Moira Gorski. So glad that you are here and another great day of uh, bringing a guest to you to learn um, a little bit more about, um, again, things that are helping people on their journey of recovery and just um, being in a better spot in their life. And Alice Kirby, I'm bringing her to you today. She reached out to me as she had seen that I was involved in doing a podcast and she's involved with a group that I'm also uh, just started to get involved with uh, called She Recovers. And it's a wonderful international movement of women that are in or seeking recovery. Just wonderful, uh, supportive community there. So without further ado, um, welcome Alice to my podcast today. And I'm excited to talk with you and share with our listeners about your story and about, again, as I say so many times, I love when people I don't love when people have struggles, but I love that when through their struggles of life and what they've learned, they go on to really have this passion for helping others that um, are in a place where they uh, used to be. So welcome, Alice. Uh, Thanks for joining me here today. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yes, absolutely. So we always start um, with the story. Again, yours is, um, again, you do have a story and uh, you, you had shared that with me previously. So let's just start again, kind of with your story of your struggles with alcohol and has you found sobriety and just, again, we, we say not all the down and dirty and all that, but just kind of how it developed, kind of what you learned, you know, what it looked like and how um, your recovery is bringing you to, to where you're at today. Sure. Let's see. I think I always knew I had, I always knew that my like drinking probably wasn't normal, but it didn't really, um, but it was kind of fun. Like in high school, I kind of started drinking. I'm from a, uh, like a middle-class family in Virginia. And so I had a really tr- like pretty basic traditional suburban, you know, um, growing up and everything. I had older brothers and a sister and uh, you know, my life was pretty good and pretty normal. I think like a lot of sensitive kids, I've, I've experienced a lot of that like difficulty with connecting with other people um, that I, I hear from women in recovery quite frequently. Of like, I just felt different or it was a little hard to make friends. And so some of that was my experience. I was really a shy kid. So in high school, I discovered alcohol. I had some friends that would drink and it was great because it really opened up my ability to communicate or that's what it felt like. So I felt like it really helped with the shyness. I could be more extroverted. I could be the life of the party, but it was really, I I didn't ever really have an off switch with it. So even at a young age, I didn't know a lot about alcoholism. I thought everyone was partying and it was fine. Um, But I, 
ended up going to college after high school and I dropped out after like two semesters because I just had gotten involved with drugs and it was a mess. It was a horrible time. I was young. I didn't really like know how to be, um, I didn't know how to like find tools to help myself at that point. And, and I was really lucky in that that little blip did not last very long. It was a difficult year. And then I, you know, kind of stopped doing the drugs. My alcohol use waned off and I was able to just get back on a track and, and, and work and everything. And, and I started traveling shortly after that and ended up out in California and was really working on spirituality. I lived at a spiritual retreat center in Ojai, and that was really a cool experience and studied like Native American healing and just different um, like Buddhist healing philosophies. So it was really growing, it felt like, with all these different spiritual practices. And I wasn't drinking a lot at that time, but whenever alcohol was around, it was the same pattern where I would drink to excess, or I didn't really have a good off switch. And uh, while it wasn't hugely problematic because it just wasn't present, that like the the way that I drank, I think was always problematic. So fast forward, um, oh, let's see. Yeah, fast forward for a little while. And it was just always that undercurrent of like when I drank, it was, I didn't have an off switch. I couldn't stop. And it progressively, my drinking did start to get worse and start to get more noticeable. I was in a a really stressful relationship. I decided to go back to school when I was 30 and um, to get my doctorate. So I spent like seven years in school uh, on that track. And for the first part of that, I was in a relationship with a man who was just really, really verbally abusive and uh, just, I don't know, he had his own problems. But the, in turn, like how I dealt with the relationship was to drink more. And so I would just do a lot of excessive drinking and somehow I thought that was okay because it was helping me to numb out the relationship. But then when I got into my doctorate program, I'm a doctor of physical therapy, I was under really large amounts of stress. I was significantly older than a lot of people in the program and I didn't have good coping mechanisms for stress and anxiety. And so I would self-medicate with alcohol. And I feel like that's really when my drinking kind of blew up to the point where I couldn't, I couldn't pretend that it was normal. Um, I had a like a small kind of a nervous breakdown one day in school and went into a professor's office and it was just a mess. And it was like, I felt like I was trying to claw my way out of this dark hole of this really vicious cycle of not sleeping because I had horrible stress and insomnia and then trying to self-medicate that with alcohol and then being like ashamed and not sleeping again and showing up on my clinical rotations the next day, like hungover and smelling like alcohol and, and shaky and feeling terrible. So it was a really a difficult way to, to go through like a hard academic program um, and to, to try to show up and do work that I really cared about, but I just wasn't, you know, I wasn't present in my body at all. So that was a really difficult time, but I still didn't stop drinking. I got through it. And um, eventually I, I met my, my partner and we moved out here to San Diego. And um, I had just watched like through my doctorate, through those last few years in school, I had really watched a lot of my close friendships deteriorate and just, yeah, decline and deteriorate where I no longer had friends that I'd had really close friends because, you know, my drinking was at the core of those problems where I would, we'd go out and I would act out and it would be bad, you know, and it would be, I'd be like a horribly mean person. I wasn't a very nice drunk after a while. And it was just again and again and again, these things would happen where people could no longer tolerate the behavior. So people just edged away. Um, and I think this is common for a lot of, for a lot of alcoholics where we find ourselves quite lonely. So 
you know, we moved out to San Diego and I'm like, great, fresh start. But the drinking persisted and, you know, the same kind of behavior. I found some new friends. That was great, but it would be the same things where I wouldn't remember getting home. Friends would have to put me in a cab. I'd come home completely disheveled, not knowing where I was. My, my partner got really like pretty fed up with it. He's like, I, I can't keep living with you like this. And so our breakup was really the catalyst for me to get sober. And I was just talking about this to someone else today who's got kind of going through a bad breakup around sobriety and wondering maybe this isn't the right time to get sober. But for me, it was being in that much pain and then having all of these other reflections of like, okay, I've lost this friendship. I've almost lost a job. I almost didn't graduate from this culmination of seven years of my life of, of study and higher education. But that breakup really kind of just crystallized everything for me. I think I was just in so much pain that I knew I couldn't continue on that same pathway. And and I think I mentioned this to you before. I had a conversation with my mom and she on the phone one day and I'm in this, you know, breakup distress and crying. And she was super honest with me about the alcohol and just was asking, you know, do you need help with this? Like, this seems like it's a majorly destructive force in your life. How are you coping with it? And, you know, I didn't really respond with much to her in that moment, but I definitely, that sort of sunk into me. Like, you know, if my mom is actually saying something about this, then it probably, there probably is a bigger problem here. And I knew there was, but I just wanted to keep thinking that there wasn't. So yeah, shortly thereafter, I went to uh, my first 12-step meeting. I had a good friend who'd been in recovery for a long time and he was also seeing me suffering through this time. And, and he was like, you know, just go and listen. My friend's speaking at this big conference. Um, just go check it out. So I finally did. And it was really wonderful to hear other people's stories. The guy who spoke, I'm in touch with him still to this day. And his story just really changed me because I heard my, versions of my own story in it as maybe, you know, listeners are hearing some of their story in mine. And it really gave me that hope that there was a different pathway and I could, I could like dig my way out of this. I wasn't just destined to be this horrible person that was mean to their friends and drove their partner away and, you know, couldn't barely keep a job and things like that. So. Well, it's one of those things that, you know, I, you know, it it had gone on for so long and sometimes when, you know, when things do go on for a long time, we just don't know how to really be any different. And, exactly. um, and, you know, I even wrote down, like, when you talked about tools, I mean, we talk about that on this podcast of like, finding things that you can put in your tool belt, so that you when you're coming up with stressors of life or breakups or job stress or school stress or whatever it is, that you have those things that you know that you can go to, you know, pull out of your, um, you know, your metaphorical tool belt and, um, you know, rely on those to help you know, to help you get through that time. And, um, and also just that, that um, the thought that sometimes it takes, you know, hitting a bottom, sometimes it takes a major event, some type of stressor, some type of trauma that will kind of force us into, you know, into making a change because we realize that, well, maybe I don't want it to continue on like this. So I, hitting that bottom, if you will, or that, again, that event, or even your mom saying something, which I'm assuming from the time of you just talking in the timeline of your life, you probably weren't living at home and around your mom that, that much, but even yet as an older adult or, you know, an adult, your mom was, was showing some concern and care for you. And that resonated and, 
and, you know, got you to again, make a step towards recovery, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that, you know, we certainly don't need to hit a bottom to make changes, but you know, for me, I did, that was my story. And, and, you know, my bottom is, it is what it is. It's better than some worse than others maybe, but um, I needed to get in just enough pain where I couldn't see, I just couldn't see going forward in, in that like way of life anymore because it wasn't going anywhere. Right, right. And yeah, again, I think sometimes when we, just like you talked about, you know, we numb our things, we find things to to numb ourselves out with, you know, numb our life out with. And, um, um, you know, again, to make a change is, is scary and being brave to do that. And yet sometimes we just can't see what it's going to be like. Um, but uh, without... Yeah without our crutch or our numbing agent, if you will. Um, but I'm glad that you found the 12 steps programs. I mean, those have been so helpful and they continue to be so helpful for so many people, be it alcohol, eating. I interviewed a gentleman who goes to codependency, you know, codependent anonymous. And, you know, there's all kinds of those 12 step programs that really have been tried and true and continue to be a great support place where you can hear somebody else's story and you don't feel like you're so so alone. Definitely. I think having that, um, having that kind of connection with other people who've gone through something similar, whether it's 12 step or a group like she recovers, or, um, I mean, we're lucky now because there are so many different groups, particularly for women that are around sobriety that aren't necessarily 12 step focused, but my start was 12 step and it was, um, it was really great just to hear other people and to meet. I met a really wonderful community of other women that I still meet with to this day. And it's having that, camaraderie around the issue of like, oh, we all have this in common and we know that we can't drink Mm -hmm. Um, because if we do, bad things will happen. And we know because we've done them. So here's like, here are some of the tools that we're using to get through things when they're hard and us coming together and meeting once a week, I know for me is a really powerful tool of of just support and community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and there is, um, you know, just, it's that societal thing. Like when we say women and, and moms and working moms or whatever, working women. It's just like you just taking a having a drink to take the edge off or things like mm-hmm. that. And it's just it's almost just like it's joked about, it's accepted. Like that's just what we do. And so sometimes it's hard to find, you know, women that um have chosen another path. So um yeah, that she recovers again, if you're listening and you haven't heard of that, you know, check that out because it's a great uh, again, an international movement that you can find support, you know, all over. And, you know, the 12 steps has helped you. Um, I, you know, I like to mention if it's appropriate, you know, relationships, again, your mother reached out to help, you know, did you find, and you talked about kind of the, this, your drinking impacting your relationships and things like that. Um, do you want to speak any more about that or just how, you know, living in sobriety has helped you, you know, form different authentic relationships? Sure. Yeah. And I'll speak too, just to the fact of, of like being a shy kid when I was younger and really like using alcohol to feel more extroverted, to try to create connection and relationship. And really the, the truth is as a sober woman and, you know, I've, I've done quite a bit of uh, just work with my nervous system as well, which is like enables me to really show up and feel present in my body, which helps a lot too, because I'm quite comfortable in my own skin. But a lot of that is is definitely attributed to um, to being sober. So now when I do interact with people, it it isn't like I'm trying to make these forced like intimate connections. It's I can I can really take or leave people a 
which sometimes is a good thing. But then the friends that I do have now are um, people who know me. They like know, they know me and I know them. And it's, you know, I don't have a ton of friends here, but I do have a really nice community of sober women. And then I have some girlfriends that, um, that drink, but they're very supportive and you know, they're all on their own paths. And so I think it's actually easier. Whereas before, like when I was drinking, I never would have thought that I'm like, Oh God, interacting with people sober sounds so difficult. And like, what a headache. And let me just have some drinks to again, take the edge off to feel more conversational. But it's actually just much easier on my system and on myself to, to not have that barrier of, um, of a substance where I can just show up and communicate the way that I communicate and have nice interactions and uh, then go home when I'm ready. It's, mm-hmm. it's easy. It's easier. Yeah. That's, that's, it's, and it's nice. That's a nice, it's a nice way to describe it. It's a nice way to be that you can have easy, authentic relationships um, that feel, yes. that feel good. So, yeah. and you, again, you had found your, your physical therapist, but you found some other things within your recovery that have helped you. And thus you've, integrated those into your practice of helping other people. And let's talk about that again, what you discovered along the way that um, again, you really found has helped your recovery past the 12 steps. Um, and let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So the, probably the biggest tool for me has been through discovering the the somatic experiencing work. And this is, um, it's a, what's known as like a a bottom up therapy or a body-based therapy. It was developed by Dr. Peter Levine and works with creating regulation within our nervous system and works with trauma and healing chronic stress. And so I was really lucky that when I, I think a a few weeks before I got sober, I had been linked up with a therapist who she does this work and I'd never heard of it, knew nothing about it. But in early on in my sobriety, I was working with her regularly. And so we were doing this somatic experiencing work and, for me, what really happened that I think skyrocketed my recovery and actually made recovery a bit easier for me. I think one, I was really ready to, to like be sober now that I knew, okay, here's a tool, here's a pathway, I'm going to follow it. But working with her in, in being able to become present in my body again, through some of these somatic experiencing tools and to be able to really, really feel good and linger and feeling good in my body and to feel present in here. It was such a gift. It is such a gift. But I think in early sobriety, like knowing I had access to this in my body, it, it made me like, I, it wasn't something I ever wanted to give up. So it really like, I didn't want to go back and have a drink. I didn't want to numb out anymore because I now had, like, I knew how to feel good in my body. I knew how to like show up and be in my own skin and really be able to, you know, understand and track my nervous system. And so I worked with her for about a year. I still see her but I worked with her for about a year and then she was like, why don't you go take this training and learn this work and use it? Cause you, you know, really seem to relate to it and like it. And so I did. So it's a three-year training through the Somatic Experiencing Trauma Institute. And so I have two more classes to go before I'm a full-fledged practitioner, but I integrate this work a lot with the coaching work that I do. I integrate it as well with my physical therapy patients, but I really moved to more of an online platform especially with COVID and working as a, I am a She Recovers coach. So I use the somatic experiencing trauma work along with some coaching tools and techniques to, um, to help other women in recovery. Because for me, it was such a huge, it was just such a huge like gift. And um, it's not even the right word. It really changed me as a human. Um, and I think it changed my recovery. I don't think my recovery would have been the same without doing this work. 
And just being able to like pull off some of those layers of baggage and those old patterns that get tied up in us from early childhood or from traumatic events to really be able to work with those in a gentle way where, where the focus is on like being okay in our bodies. It's so powerful. So it's been, I feel so blessed. I've discovered the work and get to study it and use it with my clients. Yeah. Yeah. Someone that I just was interviewing too. I mean, we were talking about uh, again, more about intuition and, and also just, again, feeling your emotions. And even if they're, if, if it's, well, she was talking about anger and kind of becoming friends with anger and being okay with that and not being afraid of that. And, and, you know, moving po- through that and being, being aware and present and things like that. And, but it sounds like with this, it's much more like that you're happy with your body or you, again, you're more, you know, you're in a happier state as opposed to dealing with these heavy emotions and things like that. And again, I don't know enough about somatic experience to really speak to that. So maybe explain it a little bit more like how it kind of does work or a little bit more, or perhaps something that someone might experience kind of before. And then as they're working with a somatic experience, how that helps them show up differently. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, and certainly like anger and working with, that's something I've started pulling into my courses actually more this year is working with healthy aggression. Um, cause I think that's really important for women, but so somatic experiencing works more with the subconscious and the physiology. So let me see, I always could go on and like really ramble. So I need a very good, concise explanation of this work. But it works with, if we do go through a traumatic event, I'll use an example. I think that helps me. Like, let's say if you're, um, if you're a kid and every day you walk by your neighbor's dog who's behind a fence and, and it's a, like a little poodle maybe. So there's nothing inherently scary about the dog, but it like barks every day and you, you're afraid of it. And so you may not even have a conscious memory of this as you grow up into an adult, but you, every time you see a poodle, you cross the street you want to walk away from it. You maybe you don't notice, but your body will start to tighten and hold. Your breath will start to shorten and you will go out of your way to avoid something that reminds you of the the trauma that you sustained as a kid. And so working with somatic experiencing will actually go in. And even if there is no conscious memory of the event, and this is one way it can work. So it can also, it doesn't have to work with single events. It can work with chronic stress patterns but you go in and you work with what's happening in the physiology in the here and now. So say I was working with this person and they're, they're like, Oh, I saw this poodle the other day. I don't know why this keeps happening. And and I would ask like, okay, well, what are you noticing is happening in your body now? And so maybe they'd say like, Oh, my shoulders are, are raised and my breath is really tight. And so we would work with like what's showing up in their nervous system and in their body, because that's where these patterns can get stored and then if we don't address them, they don't just go away. It's not, it's not that time will heal them. It's like they will know they're, they're trapped in there. And so we may find ourselves in habitual patterns and habitual you know, relationship patterns, never walking by another poodle again. Um, and of course, it can be things that are more you know, profound than, than a poodle that we're trying to avoid. But by working with what's happening in the system and allowing it to, um, we, we sort of track the system, we watch what's happening, we let it really, it feels like an unwinding. Um, and then things will start to change within the actual person's body and nervous system. And so then maybe next time they see a poodle, there's a little bit more capacity within the system for their, them to like, look at it and notice like, oh, maybe my shoulders aren't as tight. I'm not having such a strong reaction to it. So it helps to, it helps the body to move through areas that may be storing, um, like past patterns of trauma or a chronic stress pattern and sort of helps it to 
like unwind and come back to a more healthy system that really can ebb and flow through life without getting stuck in like a hyper overdrive or a really low, like hypo massive parasympathetic state. So it helps to like even out the nervous system so that we can be, we can move through life. It helps to build resiliency in the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, does again, that make sense? It, it, well, it, it does make sense. It, it makes sense to me. I hope it, I think it, I uh, hope it makes sense to the to the listeners too. And, you know, I find that, again, was just talking about this today too with someone else that I'm going through this mindfulness-based stress reduction course. And we're kind of coming through the time that we're talking about um, just noticing. And it just re- reminded me of that when you said, you know, it's a matter, it sounds like there's some amount of, okay, I'm noticing. I'm noticing when I go past the poodle or every time I drive by that school or every time my aunt talks, you know, I'm noticing something's happening. And sometimes, Mm -hmm. like you said, we don't even know where it came from or we don't have, I mean, I have a girlfriend who had incredible, not, I mean, it's just terrible abuse from family members and she didn't even remember it. It was so suppressed until she was with a shaman and doing some work and whatnot, and it started to come out. And it's just, I mean, we suppress those things. Sometimes we don't just don't even know what's, what's going on there. But I like that thought of like, well, we can start to notice. And mm-hmm. if we can notice, that's what I'm learning from the stress reduction is when, if I can notice and allow it, and then I can figure out what I'm going to do to proceed. You know, right. you, so. you have the power of choice again, instead of just being reactionary. Right. Just huge. Right. Which that's what that. I thought of too, as you were talking about that, like you're not then so much reacting to life, but you're mm-hmm. really then, you know, the, it's the ups and downs and it's not all like this. I've also learned that sometimes, and just speaking from my own experience, there's been times I've just been put on, I'm just on autopilot because of stress that's going on in my life or the busyness of life or things like that. And again, sometimes I haven't realized that until I've slowed down and started to do some of this, this work that not necessarily that you're talking about, but just my own meditation or things that I've learned with stress reduction and starting to feel the body. I mean, there's just, that's a theme for the last few interviews I've done is just like connecting with the body and feeling into your heart or feeling into your body. So, so important, you know, to just not, either be on autopilot or numbed out, if you will, with a substance or just, I know for myself, sometimes I've just gotten so busy or again, the stress of um, caring for a loved one and caring, you know, four kids and a business and all of that. You just, I kind of have put myself on autopilot at sometimes because I tell people I can run with the best of them. Come on, I'm, I'm doing fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But a lot of but, times that's the, it's good, but there's some, like you said, that yeah. underlying stress. I think we're learning too. I hope so. And maybe this is just because it's the field I'm in because um, I'll often work with corporations and do like corporate presentations on on stress reduction techniques and introduce just a little bit of this work to people because I feel like even my own experience with physical therapy school where there, there nobody came in to give us a talk. I think we had one talk about stress, but it wasn't very good. There was no actual tools that we could use. And I think we could, we could have more of this, like in our corporate structures and in our like higher education programs. Like I'm glad that it's more and more people are talking about it because we need it as a society. We need it. Right. We do. And like, instead of having that badge of like a badge of honor, like, wow, look at, I'm a, I've worked this many hours or I have these many awards or whatever. And I know that, you know, our mutual friend, Vanessa, who um, was interviewed also for this podcast, Vanessa Klugman, she talked about she needs to need to just recover from life because she was just on this, like, 
high achiever. Do, I got to do this, do, 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 do. And um, she just really needed to go into recovery of recovering from that overworking, you know, mm-hmm. life. And um, yeah. And I like what you said, more people need to be aware of this. We need to put this into schools and corporations and um, schools of the the young and the old um, to give, to help, to give ourselves the tools so that we can do better when we know better, we do better. I mean, I also just uh, this last week, I had a podcast go out of a gal that I met who talked about stress and she's a stress mastery coach. And as I got to know her story, I mean, her stress led to a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And um, so again, the stress is not good. You know, it can really lead to terrible, um, you know, health, health issues, mental health issues, physical health issues. Um, and we've got to figure out ways to, to deal with that and deal with life. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think not just to manage it either, but to just to integrate new approaches to even how we look at stress. Cause I think the business of stress management can even become another stressor of like, well, I have to do my journal and then I have to like do this walk. And then it's like just more things that we're programming in. So it's like, well, instead of managing stress, how can we um, you know, again, for me, it's all about like, how can we be more present in our bodies and really like feel good in here and move through life from this place, yeah. which is different than, than managing stress. I don't feel like I manage stress as much as I, um, try to cultivate and, and recognize like when I do feel good, try to dr- pull those moments out and expand them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 As opposed to always focusing on what can I fix? What can I change? What needs to happen next? Um, right. And we have to do those things too. Certainly, I, I don't advocate that we ignore stress or ignore you know feelings that are unpleasant. But also, I think a big thing that's missing from this whole vernacular is our ability to to also like plant the flowers, you know, in the garden and plant the the ripe vegetables. It's not just always about pulling the weeds. Mm. I like that. That's good. I, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> I like that one too. Yeah. Someone said. Um, had a post on Facebook this week about, um, you know, cause I live in the Midwest and, you know, our trees have been beautiful this year with the leaves. Mm. And then we've had some rain and a lot of wind. And like, there's one tree in my back, our backyard. And uh, my husband and I were commenting that like, wow, it looks so like the leaves are so vibrant this year. I don't think it's ever been that bright. And then I got up, I don't know, last week and I looked out the window. I'm like, well, those leaves are all gone because again, it had, <laughs> it rained and there was all kinds of wind and it's gone. But someone made a post about um, that the leaves are gone, but like, I'll try to remember how she said it, but it was, it was pretty profound because she talked about like the tree, it almost like it, you know, it goes dormant, but like there's stuff that's still, I, I don't know, this is just my memory of what the long post said, but something like, you know, the tree doesn't have to be sad. You know, it, it let, it dropped its leaves but then the hope is, and the cool thing is that in the spring, it'll start to bud again and there'll be new life and it'll be new life based on what they learned in the past. I mean, it was pretty profound. I was like, that's kind of cool. And I can't remember exactly how she said it, but it is kind of like that, you know, the, the planting the seeds, um, looking at the good um, along with the bad and trying to focus a little bit more on the good stuff and the beauty yeah. instead of just picking all that, you know, being aware of all of the, the bad, you know, the yeah, bad stuff. Just also yeah. be aware of the good. Cause I think we tend to skip over it. Like when we feel okay and normal, we're like going about our day, you know, we, we don't like stop to take that in. And that's one of the biggest things I like to practice and that I teach is to like, when you have those moments of like, Oh, it's a pleasant moment right now. What's happening in my body. Oh, is it like warm? Is it expansive? Mm. Neat. 
Yeah. You know? And yeah. it just and, pulls us right back in. Right. And recognizing that. And um, if you need to journal, you know, it's good to write a few of those things down. I was just talking again earlier today about um, I have a blessings jar in my kitchen and um, just started that a couple of years ago. Somebody said, you should do a blessings jar. And again, when you have those nice moments, just grab a piece of paper and write it down and throw it in the blessings jar, you know? And um, I thought, and, it, and then at the end of the year or like new year's day, you open it up and you read them all. And I thought that it was, my thing. Cause I don't know, again, anybody listening, you know, sometimes the mom is like, come on, everybody do this. And you know, the mom's trying to get everybody to take their vitamins or, you know, be grateful or be positive or force family fun, you know, those kind of things. <laughs> and sometimes I could be um, accused of doing all that. So um, I figured that I was the only person putting the blessings in the jar. And it was really cool when we opened it and whenever it was like New Year's Day, sometime around the holidays. And I was reading them. There was a few from my sons. You know, I have two sons Mm -hmm. that live here at home. And I was like, oh, I didn't know you put some things in here. It's just kind of neat, you know. And again, just noticing the good, seeing the good and um, really, like you said, expanding on that and being present and being grateful for that, I think is so good. Yeah. Yeah. And really like allowing yourself to feel it, like take in the warm feelings that come with that. Yeah. 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 Um, so tell us, tell the listeners kind of what you're up to. Cause you do private coaching. Um, you talked about courses, um, you know, just again, share kind of what you're doing and how people can, you know, again, not necessarily just get in touch with you, but again, how they can, if they're looking to learn more about this somatic experience, you know, kind of the ways that they can learn more about it with you. Sure. Um, so I'm really, I'm pretty active on Facebook. I have a Facebook group where I post weekly articles. I lead a meditation in there once a week. So if anyone just kind of wants to hop in the group and learn more, I talk a lot about somatic experiencing and I, I try to pull from different sources as well. So it's not just me talking about it. Um, I have a podcast as well, and I interview other, um, somatic experiencing practitioners as well as I have other people that are active in the recovery community. So people can always check that out. The podcast is called beyond the pink cloud. And that's been really a fun project. Um, my Facebook group, I'll give you the link. It's called the self love project changing our lives in 2020. So it'll have a new name, right? Uh, but people can come find me on, on Facebook. My website is Kirby method consulting.com. And I do private coaching. I, I really prefer to work with people over a three month period of time doing weekly sessions. Cause I found that's when we really see significant changes in the system. Um, so that's my preferred method, but I also do group courses with some group coaching and really, uh, the group co- courses lead, they get offer a lot of these foundational tools. And so we're, I'm in the middle of one right now called sober, calm and wild, which is the first time I've run this particular course. And I really like it. So I'm going to do it again in 2021 because it works with ways we can, you know, work with our nervous system, ways we can recognize triggers and begin to calm down. Um, in early sobriety, it's a lot of tools for working with cravings and things like that, that happen, but also this part of ourselves of like our inner wild are this, um, like this idea of healthy aggression or of having good boundaries, particularly in sobriety, especially if we've been a a people pleaser or our boundaries have been all over the place, like ways to, again, come into ourselves and also know like, this is where I begin and this is where my, you know, my boundary is, and this is how I can show up in the world and have my own power of choice and, and have it be okay to be in my healthy aggression if that's what's needed. 
and to be calm. So it's a fun course. There's a lot to it. Sounds so I like think it. Yeah. yeah, I really, I'm really enjoying it actually. And everyone, everyone who's in it seems to be enjoying it as well. So yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. been really cool. It's, it was fun. I like the concept. I was backpacking last in September and I was out in the, the woods for a week by myself. And I was like, why do we do this? What is this in us that like calls us to be like in the dirt and in the forest? And this inner wild concept really sort of took hold then. So I've been exploring it. Wow. Cool. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. And yeah, I, um, even with the mindfulness based course I'm taking, it's just so nice that even though I love to be in person, um, you know, it's been nice to be able to connect with people all over, you know, the United States. So I'm sure that with your courses and being virtual, you're able to really help people wherever they're at. Yeah, it's neat. It is really neat to work with people all over the world and adjust the, the time so that it works for people in different time zones. Uh, but it's been pretty incredible. It's, yeah, it's I've got to, I got to figure that out. I reached out to a gal about a podcast that she does and like what she does. And, um, and she ends up being in Australia. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we're talking about being guests on each other's podcast, but I'm like, I got to figure out the time frame and like, will I be, a, when will I be? A, Cause that's a long, that's like a way. It is. Across I know for me, like evening or like late afternoon here is like 10 AM for them. I use world time buddy. It's like a great free app. You can do oh. it on your um, computer and then you can type in four different time zones. It's really easy. It's helped me a lot. Oh, that's good. Cause I really, mm-hmm. I don't know. I am very challenged even like probably talking to you. I'm like, okay, in California, I'm in the Midwest. I don't know. I have a hard time with that. And sometimes it is the, if you're having three or four people in a, conversation mm-hmm. and one's in the east coast and west or and then colorado yeah, is that the uk you know, yep yeah yeah so um well as we wrap this up um you know just any last words for somebody that's you know listening um you know again things that you've learned that you feel are just so i know you've shared so much with us already just kind of any last words that you want to just leave our listeners with Sure. I I would just say um, if you're new to recovery or if you're not sure about recovery and you think you want to try it, um, the support is crucial. So really try to set up as support systems where you can, whether that's through a 12-step program, whether that's through three recovers, whether it's uh, she recovers, whether it's through a therapist, if it's through all of the above, um, you know, get into some kind of meeting and, and get the phone numbers of some other sober people, some other sober women. If you're a woman, I really recommend just working with women. Um, but ha- you know, have accountability people to check in with and, and build your support network because it's so much easier to do this when you have support. And I think we, we can undervalue it or tend to isolate, but really um, you know, see what kind of support you already have and see what you need and try to, try to grow and develop it and reach out. And, and uh, that'll help a lot. Yeah, that's really good. And especially during this time where we are Mm -hmm. so much more secluded, if you will, or shut off from other people, again, just don't be afraid to ask for help because it's, it's easy to just, again, put yourself, you know, shut the door and lock yourself away and things like that. And nobody's, there's nobody um, seeing you like you had with your mother or your partner or your friends or whatever, um, because we are, you know, forced to be inside. So I just, I, I um, echo that, you know, make sure that you ask for help, reach out for some supports, find some support that works for you. Again, as, as everybody's heard on this podcast, there's way, there's so many awesome different ways that you can get support. And it's just important that you do, you know, and don't yeah. be, and, um, and know that when you step into a place of support, 
there's, um, you can hear another person's story that can offer you some hope into recovery. So I'm so glad that you joined me today, Alice. And really, I just continue to learn from you. And um, I know the listeners um, learn from you as well. So all your information for connection will be in the show notes. And so people can find you. Thanks again for being a guest. I really do appreciate you being here today. And thanks um, for having me. Yes, you are welcome. Thanks for reaching out. And um, again, thanks for listening. Um, I really do appreciate I appreciate the comments. I appreciate reviews and things like that. And again, just knowing that, you know, we share our stories and we're here to support each other so that we can really live our best lives and not be afraid. Um, just don't be afraid of your story and don't be afraid of asking for help because uh, life is is worth living and worth living um, really in that calm and that wild and really having lots of fun and being happy. So again, thanks for coming here and listening and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. Share it with others and make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. I've got a tribe over on Facebook, so head over there and search for Juggling the Chaos of Recovery Podcast Tribe. And do you know somebody who has a story, a story to share, a story of recovery and hope? Please let me know as I'd love to feature them as a guest on one of these next upcoming podcasts. And perhaps you're looking for a community of like-minded, collaborative, and supportive people who cheer each other on as we strive to improve our lives. If that sounds like something you've been looking for, schedule some time with me. You'll find the links in the show notes. Let's talk and let me help you find your way. And I'm here to tell you that you're worth it.